Hello and welcome to Never Waste a Good Hysterectomy, the podcast for all the courageous women who have had a hysterectomy or are still waiting for one. My name is Melanie Favort and I'm the author of Never Waste a Good Hysterectomy. In this episode, we talk about the anxious wait. But before we go on, please may I remind you that this podcast is intended for information purposes only and must, of course, never replace medical intervention. So if you're worried or something doesn't feel right, please contact your medical provider immediately. So most women have to deal with a waiting period before their operation. And for some, it might only be a couple of days, while for others, it might have to be a few months. And this can be a time filled with anxiety, dread and fear. So today we are going to discuss how to deal with this waiting period and how to use it best to prepare for the surgery. And to help us with that, I want to welcome Abram LaRue, a clinical psychologist of many decades. Lauren Ellis, a physiotherapist and a pelvic floor expert, and Kylie Christie, a midwife and a critical care nurse. Welcome to you all. Hello. Thank you. Hi. Hello. Avram, let me start with you. Many women, especially those in the public health system, have to wait for months, and that can be a very anxious time. Let's talk a little bit about how to deal with that. Thank you, Melania, and thank you for having me on this uh, talk. Yeah, I think that one of the most important things is is to actually reframe this wait waiting period. I would like to actually make this waiting period against the backdrop of loss and Mm -hmm. and grief. When we anticipate a loss, we can already start working through the loss beforehand. And I think that it's actually a good idea to actually think about working with emotional stuff as far as possible. Obviously, this the physical preparations that you'll get to later. But the emotional preparations can actually do a huge amount because if we have worked through the emotional things before you actually get to the hysterectomy, then obviously that is going to be much lighter on yourself and obviously on your body as well because there will be more time, more care just directly for what the body needs and the kind of emotions would be looked after. Uh, or has been looked after before. So most of you will have been familiar with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's mm. kind of grief work and and, um, and the loss and the five stages of grief that and uh, loss that you need to work with. So I'm just going to briefly take you through t- through that and actually give you pointers, actually how you can actually approach the, in this waiting period, which can be very anxiety provoking and very difficult. So the first one is denial. It's that shock period. This is when the doctors told you this is, unfortunately, this is what you need to go through. There is this kind of loss that's been anticipated. And I think that especially if it came as a surprise, kind of there's almost like this can't be happening to me. This is actually not possible. And I think it's very important to start working kind of with that denial obviously also kind of connect with friends speaking to support structures in order to actually help you start getting past this denial phase and then obviously that will flow naturally into the next phase where you actually start negotiating kind of why is this happening to me Uh, maybe there's another procedure maybe i can actually go more healthy kind of like holistic route with this i don't need to have this very invasive kind of operation happening to me. They could be kind of like negotiating with the doctors. So you can quite well imagine the conversations Mm. that goes through your head or in person. Uh, It's just to be aware of this kind of negotiation and to understand that this is natural. It's not like you're fighting it. 
it's more like kind of coming to terms with it in that time. And then you go into kind of the next stage, and I'm going to actually handle them kind of together in, in, in a way. So, um, and that would be going into the anger phase, and then also the grief, the sadness part as well. The anger is kind of to expect it. And with that, you must remember a lot of anxiety is also going to go. So we must actually include anxiety within mm. this process as well. What if this is going to get worse complications in the operation? Right, the worst case scenario, the yeah, catastrophizing. Yeah, so you, yeah. Your, your mind will race and you will think up, especially in the kind of early morning hours, you will think about the most horrendous things that can happen to you and uh, planning your own funeral and, and all of those kind of things that can actually go through you that terrorizes you. But the anger is kind of like sometimes like angry that this is happening to me. There's so many women that never has to go through this. Why me? Mm. And, uh, and I think that to get to a place where you start accepting it and working through that anger in a sense, and with that will come the sadness. And here, I think it's quite important to start looking at other techniques that you can actually employ in order to help you to deal with these very strong emotions that will come up. And then I'll approach it from kind of a perspective of meditation. And what that actually means, because it's easy to say, oh, you must just meditate on it. How do we do that? The whole idea is, is just to actually start trying to not be in it. So the metaphor that I will use is, is almost that of a wave. So if you are actually within a strong wave, it will actually roll you. So then the anger, the sadness, the anxiety will actually roll you and you will feel completely upside down and out of it in a sense. And it can really be debilitating in that period leading up to the operation. Whereas with a, a meditative stance, you can actually see yourself outside of that wave. So you can almost like have this bird's eye view, kind of looking at it from above. And then you can see it coming on, you can feel the feeling and you can hold it. But you can also see it roll and then you can see it actually washes out on the beach. Mm. By allowing these emotions just to kind of flow through you without feeling that you have to attach them or being in the middle of that can make a huge difference. And to know that they come and go, nothing stays. And you will have calm periods in between. And the more we actually allow ourselves just to go through these feelings, the anxiety, the anger, the sadness, and they will come. There's not a particular order always at play. And sometimes we'll go back to previous things where we want to deny it or want to negotiate it. And just to stand outside of them, allow them to roll through. And this is obviously also where you keep on pulling in your support system and keep on getting maybe information if you need that. But we can maybe get back to information a bit later. Yeah, so just on the information side, I mean, information can be empowering, but is there also a case to be made for too much information? You know, if you hear all the horror stories. It's for yourself to gauge that. It's quite interesting. I found that you find people, some people really need a lot of information because that helps them to cognitively understand it. It's also maybe a way of really putting themselves in that position, already working through some of the anticipation in that way. But you can also compulsively start looking for information or tend to go down rabbit holes, where you, which you will probably find a lot on the various platforms that you can go with the horror stories. And then you can actually just kind of petrify yourself within that process. So again, standing out of it and see, is this helping me or is it making me feel worse? 
The moment you start seeing, but now I'm actually getting more anxious. I, I want more information because I'm getting more and more anxious as I get information. Then pull back and just say like, have I got kind of the gist of it? The kind of the core? Uh, is there anything specific I need to kind of get to? And uh, then obviously a podcast like this becomes very helpful because you can say, okay, fine. There's the information that I need to actually go through. But yes, be careful of too much information can also be a problem. And it's, of course, also important to say that some women, because they've been sick for a while um, or have felt very unwell, sometimes for years with fibroids and bleeding and, and so on, for them, it's actually something they look forward to. And that's okay as well, right? Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, it's kind of a relief. It's, it's a difficult kind of maybe example to, to use, but it's like to have a loved one that has been really seriously ill for a long time and in a lot of pain, say, for example, a cancer patient, when they do die in the end, because you've actually anticipated the loss, you've worked through a lot of grief and hopefully you worked with the person around that losses as you would now actually have that uh, relationship with your own body. There is sometimes um, an experience of relief at the death, in this case, at the operation, which kind of need to be kind of like embraced as well. It's not something bad. Mm. And, uh, and then just to know that we have to create a new relationship with our bodies mm -hmm. afterwards. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit, Lauren, about the physical side of things and how we can prepare for that. In general, how can women prepare themselves physically? Hi, Milani. So firstly, I think the biggest thing that we as women need to understand is that we actually need to be aware of our pelvic floor. We need to know where it is what it is and and why is it important because for a long period of time throughout our early childhood it's kind of an area that most women don't really engage with and then all of a sudden we start menstruating and now we're trying to figure this out and later on become into childbearing years and then get to a point where we might need to have something removed from that area so physically preparing is you actually want to understand why it needs to be exercised. And I think a lot of women, especially around, just generally around the world, have this misconception that the pelvic floor is clenching their bum cheeks. And that's really, really not the answer. So seeing a woman's health physio is a really good idea to start this journey, especially when you're waiting, because you almost want to identify any other underlying issues that could be causing some extra pain so physically we would look at things like helping you engage and relax the pelvic floor in the correct positions without putting more strain on the pelvic floor perhaps helping you starting to do very gentle exercises that will perhaps help you lose some weight if there's some weight that needs to be lost because we do know that women that are going for big surgeries like this there's potentially a hormonal component um, with excess weight is an emotional component, exactly like Abram is saying. And there's a whole mentality around not understanding why they need to exercise. Exercise is so good in terms of whole holistically making your body function. And exercise is not going for a 5k run or spending three hours in the gym. It is essentially just elevating your heart rate for a certain period of time, a little bit more than what your normal is. Generally speaking, women need to be empowered to take control of their bodies, to know 
if it doesn't feel right, it most likely isn't. You've focused a bit on the pelvic floor already because, of course, that's often where the area where women develop problems after hysterectomies. And we will discuss that in detail in future episodes. But then, as you rightly said, it's also important if you have time to get yourself physically as strong as your body allows you to be. So you are saying you elevate your heart rate a little bit. So things like, I guess, is it walking, yoga, Pilates, whatever, what, what would you suggest? So walking is always a really good starting point because we get to do that every single day. When there is perhaps any underlying pelvic floor issues, like a little bit of incontinence or some constipation or anything like that, you don't want to focus on the strengthening aspect of it. We might need to look at helping you to fully relax your body in terms of pelvic floor muscles, but also in terms of prepping yourself, you want to be able to know what is the correct movement versus the incorrect movement that could potentially later down the line cause you more issues. So things also like getting up, um, sitting down, that kind of thing, it's well worth now already preferably seeing somebody if you can find somebody or alternatively even looking it up online there are some good videos absolutely so even during a telehealth consult if you can't get into a pelvic and women's health physiotherapist is a really good idea and just bearing in mind that once you've had the surgery you aren't going to be able to just get up and go your body needs some time to heal before you can get back to these newer ways of life. But knowing how you can do them correctly will most likely save you a lot of time and energy and potentially pain later on. I think there was a lot that I wish I had known. And of course, not everybody has time. So sometimes, like in my case, there was three days in between um, knowing that I needed the op, told the op. But even in those two days, it would have actually been very helpful to have either spoken to somebody and I didn't even think about it at the time. So I think this is also why we want to emphasize this. Kylie, one of the questions that come up I think almost apart from sex questions on the Facebook site is what should I take to hospital? And I know as a nurse who's had lots of experience with patients, you are the experts on that. So let's start. I guess the important thing to start with is to say, don't leave it till the last minute. Yes, I think that's very important to plan and pack ahead. You know, with every holiday you go on, with every hospital visit or so, a day before you always realize, oh gosh, I need this, I need this, I need to get this in order. Plan your bag pack it, zip it, seal it, and let it be ready before you go to the hospital so that the day or so before that, you can spend time with your family and just make sure all the house chores and the things like that are ready for you to leave. So not that when the car's already ready to leave, throw a few things in, don't do that. So in terms of clothes, of course, the first day and especially during surgery, but the few hours or day after that, you'll wear that very, and I say this sarcastically, attractive hospital gown. But what afterwards, what would you suggest in terms of clothes afterwards to take with you? The first day post-op, you'll probably still have an ivy line in situ and the catheter. So you won't be wearing any pants or panties for the day after surgery, but it's good to have a top or a blouse or a shirt that has buttons because it makes it really easy for us as nurses to put through the ivy bag and not hook on a top that's going to have to go over your head and making you 
use your muscles to pull yourself up to get it down your back. So a buttoned up shirt is always a good idea. And then also not too warm or too cold clothes. Something in between with a sleeve will be nice. Um, there's always acorns in hospitals. Some find it's too hot. Some find the room's too cold. And the yeah. important thing is to say that it has to be, just make sure the shirts are big. This is not the time to wear the, the sexy negligees and the satins. You want some nice cotton big shirts, right? Because you're also going to most probably be quite swollen. Definitely big shirts, buttons, comfortable. Just think about anything that would be comfortable. Panties specifically, I think this is also, again, important to say the nice, sexy G-strings are not going to work, right? Definitely not. Loose, high-rise granny panties are your way to go. Um, maybe a week or so after surgery, you can start wearing support panties to maybe support your belly and your wound. But while that wound is still very raw and sore, you don't want anything pressing against it. Any seams going under your belly will just make everything more uncomfortable. And then in terms of toiletries, I mean, you don't have to take the whole makeup back, right? But there are a few things that are helpful. There are people that I think feel that they aren't done for the day without makeup. So that's you pack your makeup bag. But in general, I think it's better to keep it simple. The day afterwards, you'll feel very sweaty and dirty because you'll only maybe be able to have a bed bath. So pack wet wipes to wipe your face. Your mouth will, of course, be very dry. So pack lip balm in. Yes, and then just basic shower, toilet. You, you won't be able to bath. So nice body wash. Pack in some, some nice lotion because the nurses will rub your back for you. Um, I missed that one. I have to say, Kylie, I never got a back rub. Never got a back rub. <laughs> no, <laughs> wish yeah. I did. And then some people like powder. I mean, said they like for being sweaty in bed, powder under your arms, in your neck areas where you're sweating and feeling sticky does help to feel a bit more refreshed. I know that it depends a little bit on what type of hysterectomy you've had, but you could bleed a bit, right? So some sanitary pads? Yes, sanitary pads are very important, especially if you had a vaginal hysterectomy and not an abdominal one. There is more chances for bleeding or not bleeding, but a little bit of blood still coming through. And then I'd also think it's important to pack in a plastic bag so that you know that if you do have any garments or anything that get dirty along the way, you can put it in the bag and then put it in your suitcase bag and not contaminate all your other clothes for when you go home. So let's talk a little bit. So those are sort of the essentials. Let's talk a little bit about things that can make your life just a little bit nicer. Luxury. Is it okay to take your own pillow, for example? Yes, definitely. I would recommend take your pillow that you use at home that gives you the best night's sleep because you're going to be in bed for a while. And then pillow, definitely, water bottle with a spout. Um, I think it's quite hard for people after surgery to crunch their, their tummies to get to a water glass or to, to get to a straw. So... Mm. Also, also mm. the spout that you can just refill while you're in hospital is much easier. Juice and snacks and coffee and tea, the, the good old coffee. That's maybe an essential rather yes. than anything yes. else. Pack your favorite things. Like if you know that you when you feel nauseous, you like apple juice or cranberry juice, pack that in and ask the nurses to put it in the fridge for you preoperatively so that you know that when you get out and you feel a bit queasy, your things are there. Sweeties like wine gums are awesome because you're going to have a bad taste in your mouth. So being able to chew on something that's not going to be make you nauseous or to be too heavy on your tummy afterwards is a great idea. To me, importantly, to take with to hospital is good coffee. I also take my own mug to hospital. The small cups that the hospitals offer sometimes are just not enough and the ratios on trying to get your coffee perfect in there is quite hard. So if you've got a favorite tea or favorite coffee that 
get you up in the morning, pack that as well. The one thing I think people often forget is that they'd want to stay in touch with people. So uh, uh, I, I, f I found that you needed a really long charger cable because the plugs are usually behind yes. your head on the bed and you, can, of course, can't stretch out or pull in that. And also um, sometimes a double adapter, right, or two-point adapters because they yes. would usually just be one plug. And if you... And if you want an iPad or a cell phone or things running next to your bed, maybe a diffuser with your favorite aromatherapy oil, a small extension with a few plugs on that you can put right next to your bed stand so that you have access to it and not have to get out of bed to plug and unplug your, your device. devices right yeah you made an interesting point to me once when we spoke where you said it's actually quite important i suppose especially if you have very long hair to wash your hair before the operation why yes um i to be fresh when you get there you always feel good and then to not having to feel that you have to wash your hair the day or two days post-surgery then you maybe can wash it at home when you have help lastly when people then go home this was something i forgot about i went in in my normal pants and then on the day i had to leave hospital i suddenly realized i couldn't get the pants on again because yeah. of course by that stage i was very swollen yeah the swelling and the pain does cause you to be quite uncomfortable afterwards just remind yourself to pack something in to go home that's very comfortable a loose track pants or sweatpants or tights that aren't tight but feel a little bit of support around your belly but nothing that really is going to cut you below your tummy on the wound area try and make everything high rise over that a size or two bigger as well because you are going to be swollen and your legs are probably going to be swollen as well from the lying down if you are did not take your own pillow i presume you need something to put under the seat belt in for the car yes to help with that band going right where the wound will be to get something to put there even if it's your gown that you used in hospital just to put it between your seat belt and your wound just to give you some support when the car like goes over a bump will help you a lot lauren and one of the things that i think that it's also so important during the waiting time is of course to get the things at home ready because I think we need to remind ourselves, and doctors seem to often underplay this a little bit, is that you will not be able to do a lot. In fact, you'd only be able to do very, very little in the first few weeks, right? So in terms of things in your household, what would you suggest? Oh, no, absolutely. I think people really don't, they pretty much underestimate how much they are limited to do after they have the surgery. So if you have kids, highly suggest that you organize some extra child care for a good two, three weeks afterwards, making sure that they have prepped meals. You know, you don't want to be standing in the kitchen for a long period of time cooking a whole meal. I think it's really great, especially if you have time before your surgery, perhaps try and organize a meal train, get a couple of your friends or family members to sign up and say they'll bring you a dinner or a lunch or help you do your grocery shopping. I think a very big thing is mentally and emotionally preparing your partner and as well kids if you have of what is to expect. I think that is so important in terms of how they can lower their expectations after you've had your surgery of what you can and can't do. For example, hanging up laundry or washing or putting clothes in the washing machine is an absolute no-go for at least two to three weeks because you need to know how to bend down correctly, support your wound without putting pressure on, 
there's a whole bunch of twisting and other lifting that you shouldn't be doing in those early stages that can actually cause quite a bit of damage. Really slow the healing process down. If you've got stairs at home, make sure that you are comfortable to walk up and down. My firm favorite is showing women how to walk sideways. You would rather go up and downstairs sideways than you would just normally trotting down. But other home improvements, you don't want to be cooking. You don't want to be cleaning. You want to really pull in that village. They always say you, there's a village to raise a child, but it's so true. When a woman has to go in for surgery or any for any reason, but especially having a hysterectomy, they, just like Aubrey had mentioned, they're going to go through different stages of healing, essentially. And afterwards, I think in my personal practice, women often say to me, I didn't realize how much it would impact me. So pulling in or reining in the village to really support you after your surgery would really make the whole home experience and recovery so much easier. Abra, Lauren was mentioning there preparing your family as well. But a lot of men are partners, one should say, are really good at this but many are not and just don't seem to get it. And that can cause a lot of tension. How would you suggest women approach this with their partners? Yes, obviously, uh, women would like as much empathy as they possibly can get from their partners. But a lot of people misunderstand empathy in, in a sense. It's a cognitive process. So empathy is the ability to understand, intellectually understand the position of the other person, their reality and their experience. So again, I think it's very important, again, in that period before the operation to share the information about what is going to happen, what is going to be the difficulties that lies ahead, exactly as Lauren actually pointed out now. Because it's very important for the partner to understand this is the things that's going to happen. So it's not suddenly that it's jumped on them and then they're not prepared or they have actually kind of a pushback on that. So I think to have healthy discussions around it, seeing what's the physical and the emotional needs that is going to be expected. I think that hopefully most partners would be able to actually come to the party and really kind of support the woman in their lives. I think for me... The takeaway from today is very much to remember that this is major surgery and that it's really important if we do have a long waiting period, but even if you just have a couple of days to prepare yourself as best you can emotionally, physically, and then also to get the systems in place at home because that will all help to speed up your recovery and just make life a lot easier after this, which is usually a quite a dramatic and traumatic experience for women. Abram, Lauren, Kylie, thank you so much. It was really a joy to speak to you all. My thanks also goes to Nicola Bruins for producing this podcast. And above all, thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch, please feel free to email me at hysterectomypodcast at gmail.com. I would really love to hear from you. I'm Alani Favurt. Until next time, stay strong and stay brave.